The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and open them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And today we're going to conclude our 13-week study of the great and terrible day of the Lord. This is our expanded explanation of the phrase, the day of the Lord, that Paul used in verse number 2 of the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, In this chapter, Paul wrote to confused Christians to encourage them and give them hope that the day of the Lord would not come upon them in the same way that it comes upon unbelievers. Now, in our study, we haven't yet reached the fourth verse of the fifth chapter, but I do want to read it in relation to this. Paul says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Now, notice there he says, It will not overtake you as a thief. And that is the way that he described the stealth of coming judgment. That it comes suddenly and without warning. He said, As travail upon a woman with child... It will come as a pregnant woman ready, be, ready to be delivered of a child, obviously knowing that the child is coming, but not knowing when the labor pains will begin. So as a thief and as labor pains come suddenly, this is the way the apostle describes the day of the Lord. Now if you look in verse number 1 of 1 Thessalonians 5, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Most of you this morning have been through all or nearly all of this um, end-time study. But if you haven't, let me just very briefly explain that the day of the Lord refers to the way that God will end the history of man upon this present earth. Now, it's not the end of existence in total because God has created each of us to be an eternal soul. So the soul never ceases to exist. The soul is the real person that is headed for one of two eternal destinies. Either it's the bliss of heaven, where we will live with Christ forever, or it is the fires of judgment where the soul will be tormented and punished forever. Now, the difference between these two destinies is your response to the grace of God. How did you obey the righteous laws of the Creator? And the answer to that question is, you didn't. The answer to the question is that all of us are sinners that none of us have obeyed God, and all of us are due punishment. The grace of God is that God the Father gave His Son to die for sinners. He died for those who believe they can't save themselves, that they're guilty, that they are helpless, unless God in His mercy should set them free from His wrath. 
Now, the good news of the gospel is that God has provided a substitute for our sins, and that substitute is Jesus Christ, his eternal son, who came to this earth, who lived and died on the cross, and it was his perfect obedience in his life that satisfied God's law, and then his death, he took the punishment that we deserve. And so to believe is to acknowledge that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. We are saved by the grace of God through this gift of the perfect righteousness given to us by faith in His Son. And that's the only way that any person will escape the destruction that's mentioned in this passage. Well, we have been through many weeks of the Bible's description of how God will end the world. And now we've come to this last part, and our subject is the judgment of unbelievers. This is the last event in the end of time. Unbelievers will be judged, and they will be sentenced for their crimes against the holy and righteous God. All sin deserves punishment. God's justice demands satisfaction to his law. And so it comes upon the wicked who have no substitute for their sins. And so they must bear their own punishment in the eternal fires of hell. Now at this point uh, in our study of end times, or looking at the, the very last of times, at this point there's no one that's left on the earth. Those who believe are now in the paradise of God. They are with Jesus Christ where they were promised to be when they put their faith in him. But then all unbelievers are brought into God's courtroom where they will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. Now if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 20, I want to read the account of this judgment. This is a very frightening scene. It, it should give pause to, to anyone that you would stop, even if you claim to be a Christian, that you would stop and examine your faith and determine, are you truly a believer in Jesus Christ? Now, there are some people who say, yes, I, I do believe in Christ. I'm saved. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. But this passage will make it clear to us how God looks at, at you and it will determine whether, in fact, you are a true believer. Do you trust Christ to save you or do you trust yourself? That's a very important question. Revelation 20, beginning in verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire." Now, I ask the question, do you trust Christ or do you trust yourself? Now, to help you determine that answer, this passage shows us the criteria for judgment. What is it that God is going to use to judge these people? Now, the third part of our outline is concerning judgment. The standard of judgment is not your opinion of how well that you have lived your life. It's not for you to review the many years that you have lived and then to pick out all of those things that you think are so good and are your good deeds. 
It's not the offerings that you brought to the church. It's not the times that you gave a few dollars to a homeless person. It's not the time that you helped your neighbor or even the time that you went to visit someone in the hospital. You see, when I ask this question, do you trust yourself, there are so many people that do this very thing that they review all the good deeds that they think they've done in their life and they think about how well they've done and they are convinced that they are good enough to go to heaven. And so they believe that their good is good enough for God. But as good as you think you are, what you never can do is you cannot trust yourself. The standard of judgment is not what you have done. The standard is what Christ did. The standard is the perfect, to be perfect as God is perfect. And so even if you claim that you are a Christian, you need to know this because I'm so afraid, folks, that there are too many people that are on their way to hell from the church pew. They go to church, they listen to sermons, they say that they're Christians... And they have based their salvation upon the things that they do. They may, it may be their conservatism. It may be their clothes. It may be their holiness based upon the degree of oddity when compared to the culture. But that's not God's standard. And there is no one who meets God's standard. No one is sanctified in and of himself. So the best person doesn't deserve heaven. And he can't trust his merits to get him there. But you know, that is the very thing that religion teases you with. That it tells you, oh yes, there is something that you can do. There is a certain way that you can live. There are certain attitudes that you can have. There are principles that you can go by. And if you do this, you deserve a ticket to the pearly gates and to eternal life. And so it's all based upon your efforts. But the Bible teaches there is no effort that you can do, not a single thing that you can do, that will merit your entrance into heaven and be acceptable with God. And this is because the standard alone is Jesus Christ. The standard is His perfection, and the only way that it comes from Him to you is by faith in the blood of the cross. You become a child of God by realizing that you can't help yourself, and you stop trusting anything that you do, and you rely completely, totally upon the works of Christ. Now, as we look at this passage, we discover that God judges by the record he keeps. He has books. He has a record of all that you've done. In verse number 12, it says, I saw the dead, small and great. This means every person, no matter their social standing, no matter their race or nationality, no matter their accomplishments, either small or great, they will stand before God and the books will be open. Understand again, we're talking about judgment for unbelievers. And we need to determine, are we in this group or are we in the other group? The group that's already in heaven, that's where you want to be. Now this scripture says that there was a book opened and another book was opened. This tells us there are books, that there's more than one book of judgment. So what are the books that God will use to judge people in that day? Well, I think that you're familiar with at least one of them. You own this one. Uh, maybe you have more than one copy. I think that I have upwards to 30 or 40 copies of this book. God lets you see this book. He lets you read it. You have the privilege of looking into sacred, eternal things that you can never know about life and about God unless he should give you this book. I think you already know what it is. You have it in your hands today. It is the Bible. How much do you know about the Bible? 
Uh, it's available nearly worldwide for anyone to read. So how much do you know about it? And do you think that God is happy with how much you know about his word? And so the first book that's going to be used at the judgment is the Biblion. The Biblion. You see, the Greek word for, for book is Biblion. And our word Bible is just transliterated from that Greek word Biblion so that we have Bible. But the word simply means a writing, it means a book, it means a scroll, and that's the way the original scriptures were written. They were written on scrolls, and there is a collection of 66 Holy Spirit-inspired, God-breathed scrolls, and those were the original Word of God. Jesus said that this Word is preserved, that it's settled forever. He said, heaven and earth will pass away Everything may change, but God's Word will never change. And so the Bible is there always to exist to judge you whether you believe and what you believe. And if God took such care to reserve the Word, and He's done that for thousands of years so that you can know about Him, do you think that you should read it? Do you think you should take your time and find out what God put in this book and, and why it's so important for you to know? You see, in the Bible are the details of everything that God wants you to know about life. It's the story of eternal life. It's what, what God did through His Son so that you can know about your salvation and you can live forever by this knowledge. Peter spoke of the importance of this word. He said that we are born again by the word of God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which what liveth and abideth Forever. So what Peter did was just repeat what Christ taught him about the preservation of the Bible. That the Word is always going to be here. And this Word is the instrument of God's salvation. And so if you ignore the Bible, then you ignore the only way that you can be saved. This information is available from only one source. And that is the Word of God. Now is there anyone in the United States who will stand before God and have an excuse and say, I, I just didn't know what was in the Bible. It's so readily available to all of us. We need to know what's in the Bible. Now, I want you to be careful to observe that Jesus said his word will judge you. John twelve forty eight, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken... The same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. And you see what Jesus said? The word that I have spoken, the same word shall judge him in the last day. And so we see it here in the Revelation where the record is given of that judgment. It is the last day and the Bible, the Biblion, this book is open and there is judgment. And the question will be asked, did you believe the word? Did you know what was in the word? Did you trust the word? And the word is so critical, that is the reason that we make it prominent in Berean Baptist Church. We, we, we start our service with the Word. Do you notice that today? We start it with the Word. And then we pray about the Word. And then we sing about things that are in the Word. And then we preach the Word. Why do we do that? Because we've got to know what God is going to use to judge us. 
The Bible is the inspired record and it will be at the judgment and there God will compare what people have done, how they have lived according to its commandments. And so I suggest that what all of us do is spend more time in the Word. There's nothing that you own that is more valuable than your copy of God's Word. You see in this book you have assurance. You, you can say this is the book that came from God. This is the intangible, inspired, infallible Word of God. And God is present in that Word. He tells us that He's there. This is how you'll find out about Him. And so we preach the Word because this is the record of Jesus Christ, who is the only name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. His death, His burial, and His resurrection, that is the gospel of our salvation. Now verse number 12 tells us that there is another book. The end of the verse says, the dead are judged according to their works. So the second book that we need to talk about is the book of works. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. The book of works is the record of every thought, of every deed, of every word that is spoken. Across the world, across the centuries, from the time of Adam to the last person breathes his last breath, every thought... Every deed is recorded in the book. Now, I've, all, I've already clarified that there's nothing that we can do that will help us in our salvation. I mean, the best that you can do falls far short of the perfection required. And so, if you end up in this judgment, don't think that there's anything that's written in this book, not in this record, that will commend you to God. The Bible teaches that we are totally depraved. Though it's true there are some that are worse than others, some sin more than others, but the extent of our depravity is the same. Every part of our being is through and through corrupted with sin. And so the best person that you can think of is still blackened with a sinful nature. And the mere thought that anyone thinks their works can save them is evidence of that depravity. That is a, a thought that is repulsive to God. You see, those who believe that the good things that they do are enough to save them have actually elevated themselves to God's level. They claim that their works are as good as Christ. And so to say that you are okay, that you've lived such a good life, is to say that you are God. Whereas there is not a thought that you think, there's not an action that you do that is pure. Just the thought that you would have, that you could do that, you could somehow get to heaven because you've been a good person, that shows a stubborn, rebellious attitude that denies what God says in his word. And I warn you about this. I warn you, you should read more Bible and watch less TV. Find out more about what's in God's word. And my point here is that there's nothing found in the book of works that will help anybody. There's nothing in this book but nails and nails and more nails in the coffin of the unbeliever. Here are the condemning thoughts, these are the condemning actions, these are condemning words. And at judgment, God will look into this book and there he'll say, I don't find anything here that's in your favor. So these are two books that will condemn you, the Biblion, that is the Bible, and then the book of works. Oh, but do you notice that there is a third book that's mentioned here, and this is the book of life. Verse number 12 says, the book of life is open. And in verse 15 it says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What is the book of life? 
And why is that book here at this judgment? Well, this is the book that names every citizen of God's kingdom. The people who have their names in this book enjoy peace and safety. They are in heaven. And they never will come to this day of wrath. They don't show up at this judgment. Now let me show you how the Bible speaks of the safety of God's children. Now if you'll turn to uh, Daniel chapter 12. We've read this passage several times in our study. But I want to show you some more important information from it. In Daniel chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. Daniel has a vision of these end times. Now this is way before Christ ever even came to the world. And he's already looking forward to these end times that we're discussing now. So Daniel 12 verse number 1. And at that time, these are the very last day. Michael shall stand up. The great prince would stand it for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. Since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall, what? Be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever." Now, reading just those three verses in Daniel, the scope of the passage is broad. There isn't much detail here, but the scope of it considers all that we've discussed about the great and terrible day of the Lord. It ranges from the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation on through the millennial kingdom to where we are right now and what we're discussing, and that is the judgment of the last day. Now, listen to what the scripture says. It says, at that time... Thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. So the ones that are written in the book, they will be delivered. The Hebrew word delivered is often translated in the Old Testament as escape, as the getaway, or saved. And when you see that in the Old Testament, most often it refers to some disaster, some impending doom. This is the word that Mordecai used in in Esther 4.13 when he asked Esther if she thought that she would escape if she didn't plead for the Jews with the king to expose wicked Haman's plot to destroy them. This is the word that the angel used when he came to Lot and told him that he could escape the destruction of Sodom. It's the word that the messengers used when they came to Job. And they told him that his servants were killed by the Sabians. Another came and said, there is fire that fell down from heaven and consumed all of your sheep, Job. There was another who said, the Chaldeans have come and they have taken away all of your camels. And then another servant comes and he says, there was a great wind that blew. And it blew down the house where your children were and killed them all. And every time the servant said, the servant said, I alone am escaped. To tell you, this is the same word. God said that if your name is written in the book, you will escape. You will be delivered. You will be saved from the wrath to come. Jesus told the disciples, rejoice for your names are written in heaven. Where are they written in heaven? They're written in this book. And so the book of life is taken at the judgment and it's researched for the names of the people that are there. It's searched through. Are their names there? 
Well, this book is referred to many times in the Scripture. In Revelation, it says that the names that are written in this book were recorded before any of us were born. Some say, oh no, that's not right. When you believe in Jesus, then your name is written in the book of life. Did you know there's not one place where this book is mentioned in the Bible that it says that? Others say, well, everyone's name was written in the book. At the very beginning, all the names were there. And then if you die without trusting Christ, your name is scratched out. And so God opens the book at judgment. He sees the place where your name was written. And there's nothing there but eraser dust. It's gone. And God says, sorry, your name was there, but it was erased when you died. You won't find that any place in the Bible either. God is omniscient. God doesn't have pencils with erasers. He has eternal books. And so God did not write down names and then wait to see what people would do. Well, this book is open, and those names who were never there, the names of people who were never there, these are the ones that are at judgment. Now, here's a, here's a great question for you. Is your name written in the book of life? Is it there? Did you know that you can know the answer to that question today without ever looking in this book? God doesn't let you see the book of life. You can know this today, and you, do, you must know it before you die. Did you believe? Did you trust Christ? Well, if you did, then you trusted Him because He recorded your name before He ever created the world. You, you, you don't believe to get your name added to this book. You believe because your name was in the book. If you repented of your sins and trusted Christ to save you, your name was always there. And you can know that your name was there. So this is the criteria for judgment. Let me emphasize it again. Are you sure that you've trusted Christ? Does your life show that you've trusted Him? Because the Bible also teaches that you will demonstrate a changed life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are different from what you were before. Those who know Christ want to serve Him. Those whose names are written in the book of life, Christ moves his heart to desire him. He desires the person who, his name is there, desires the work of Christ. He desires the life of Christ. He desires the word of Christ. And if you can know all of those things and have that information, and that does not move you, if you are indifferent about that, then you don't know Christ. The Bible, the book of works, and the book of life, these are books that are opened at the judgment. Now, I'd like to conclude our study of the great and terrible day of the Lord by taking us to the conclusion of the creation. This is something that happened simultaneously to the last day of judgment. Now, if you look in Revelation 20, verse 11 again, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is a description of the disappearance of the entire universe into nothingness. This is the last act of the Lord in the great and terrible day. And it coincides with the great white throne judgment. The earth, the solar system, the galaxies, the farthest extent of the universe vanishes into nothingness. God who created by speaking everything into existence will speak it all out of existence. Everything that God created in the visible world has material substance. Even in a science class, you know this. Atoms and molecules and the way that they combine, those are the substance of everything. 
Whether we're talking about this pulpit that I stand behind, whether it's uh, the carpet on the floor, whether it's the curtain, the chairs, the building, asphalt out in the parking lot, whatever, atoms and molecules, that is their substance. And God created all of this substance ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. At the creation, there was nothing that existed but God. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 33, 9, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Hebrews 11, 3, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So, these things that appear before you, the pulpit, the carpet, the chairs, the building and all of that, all this was made out of nothing. There was no material substance at all and God created all out of nothing. In Genesis 1.1, God didn't create this world out of existing materials. There was nothing. He spoke and then there was something. And when God decides to end it all, He will speak and it returns to nothing. The psalmist wrote, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. They all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. The New Testament quotes the same words in Hebrews 1, 10 and 11. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. Why will God fold up all of this and put it away? Why does God destroy everything? Oh, you're a Christian. You know the answer, don't you? God destroys everything because of sin. The problem is that God cursed the whole creation when Adam fell in the garden. All was defiled. You remember that Lucifer sinned, then Adam sinned, and now everything and the universe is marred by sin. And God hates sin. God will not tolerate sin, not even a pinch of sin. And so he intends to get rid of it. God created the world. He declared what he had created. He said, it's all good. Everything I've created is good. And he was pleased with the creation. But then sin came and sin upset him. And so now he intends to recreate the world uh, so that sin can never enter. He let it in the first time because... It was a display of his glory and overruling it. But the second time, there's no need for that. His glory will be seen in the eternal preservation of what he creates. And so when the final judgment happens, this world that is infected with sin will not survive. God must destroy it. Eternally existent sin is not in God's design. So what is it that God's going to destroy? Well, we say first, God destroys matter. Matter is destroyed. God's not going to rearrange molecules. All of it's ravaged by sin. God will destroy this physical universe. Now, of course, the spiritually perfect, that will be destroyed. God has perfect angels. They never sinned. God has perfect people. They've been made that way because they're purified, being washed in the blood of the Lamb, so they don't have any sin to be judged. The spirits of evil men, they're not annihilated because God is given them an eternal soul and a body that's fitted for eternal punishment. But this physical universe in which we live, that is different. It's different. 
Now, if you look in 2 Peter chapter 3, there's an important discussion that relates to Revelation chapter 20. In 2 Peter 3, verse number 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, what God is doing at the present, he's preserving this earth until the time that he's ready to judge it. So we don't worry about men destroying the earth. We don't worry about climate change destroying the earth. We don't worry about running out of food or freezing to death because of global cooling or global warming. Uh, we're not going to burn up because of that. No, God preserves the earth. And God can destroy the earth without our help, thank you very much. He's capable of doing that doing it. A nuclear holocaust will not destroy us. Global warming won't do it. It won't melt it. You know why? Because the Bible says, you know, global warming, according to the scientists, if it's all true, that's a gradual thing, isn't it? Somewhere off in the distant future, somewhere, it's going to be too hot to live on this planet and we're just all going to eventually all die because of that. Well, no. The Bible says that when this world is destroyed, it happens like that. It's fast. It takes place. It's done. God ends it all. It's a divine, immediate act. It's a sudden cataclysm that comes. Second Peter 3 verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This happens suddenly like a thief in the night. Now, do you see how Peter references the day of the Lord? This is all part of it. It's the consummation, the conclusion of everything. And when this through, if this is through, the judgment on the world is complete. The heavens and the earth will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, you read that, and it sounds very scientific, doesn't it? The elements, aren't those the basic building blocks? Atoms? On the periodic table science students, what do you have? Elements, the atoms. Now the word here in the scriptures means the fundamental parts. These are the constituent parts of which everything is made. So the fundamental parts will cease to exist. Now science will tell you, no, that can't happen. Can't happen. Law of conservation of mass, it can't happen. Matter is neither created nor destroyed. And they dance around that a little bit, and they say, well, in a closed system, energy is not created or destroyed, but it can change forms. But they're wrong on both counts, because they haven't met God. God does both. He creates and he destroys energy, matter, mass, whatever. God creates and God can destroy it. The heavens pass away with a great noise. Now, here the Greek is very interesting, because this word for great noise is an peak word. That means that the word makes the sound, or it sounds like the word. The sound is like the word. Now, I couldn't tell you what that, exactly what that is. Maybe it's... I don't know. It's just a big... It's gone. Some huge sound. Can you do it with a... Whatever. God destroys it all. It's gone. Not reduced to ashes, but gone. Gone out of existence. No trace of it. Out of nothing it came, back to nothing it goes. What did Jesus say? Heaven and earth shall pass away. He means the earth, this physical earth and heaven. And there he's not talking about 
the, the heaven where God's people live, but he's talking about the atmospheric heavens, and he's talking about the stellar heavens. That's going to go away. The planets, the stars, the galaxies, all of it's gone. God folds it up like an old, worn-out garment and tosses it out. He created from nothing, and to nothing it will return. Now think for just a moment, what happens when the sun, the moon, and the, sun, the, moon, and the earth are gone? Well, the second thing that will be destroyed is time. Time is destroyed. The sun and movement of the earth around the sun, that regulates and gives us time. Genesis 1.14, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. Now you take away the sun, the moon, the earth, then there is no time. And this is the way that God exists. He transcends time. He's outside of time. In fact, Hebrews says that God is unaffected when he destroys time. Hebrews 1.12 And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But listen, but thou art the same. Thy years shall not fail. Now, we read that, and we must speak of time. Our verb tenses are past, present, and future. We think in time. We move in time. It's impossible to have movement and spatial existence without time. And God is outside of all of that. He's in the eternal present. And I don't have any way to say that except I speak of time. Time is nothing but an instrument for us to understand and relate to God. And at the end of the day of the Lord, it's all over. Time is gone. Man's history is done. And then eternity begins. And in eternity, what is it? No time. Nobody keeps track of time in eternity because there is no time. No watches in eternity. Now, it's not in the scope of this lesson to explain to you what happens when the earth is over. Uh, we're, we're, we're not talking about heaven and hell. Those aren't our subjects, the two places where people will be forever. But I do want to mention this, that the Bible says that God will create new heavens and a new earth. God is not through creating. He will create again. And what God intends to do is to have a perfect universe where no sin can ever enter. Where there is no devil to spoil it. The devil is in the lake of fire. Now I'm going to ask you again the question. Who are you depending on? Who do you depend on? Are you trusting God or do you trust yourself? And as you evaluate that question, think for a minute what you are able to do. Can you do what God did? Can you reach the heights of the almighty creator God with anything that you do? Well, the idea is preposterous. You made nothing. You control nothing. You are nothing without God. And so every choice that you make, every breath that you take, that is dependent upon God. Nothing is left to you. So you're a sinner, and God knows the sins for which he must destroy the universe. He knows the sins that Christ died for. And he knows if he left it to you, that you would make a mess of his salvation. And everything that you touch... So God doesn't let you get involved in these heavenly, glorious, holy things. God does it all himself. And so God's not going to let you touch it. He is the sovereign God, and you will be saved if the sovereign God wills it to be so. 
Do you believe him? Will you escape the day of wrath? I said you could know. And you can know today. This is not a mystery that you find out at the end. You can know today that you will escape the day of wrath. How? Trust Jesus Christ. Repent of all your sins. Then you'll know this. My name was in the book of life. And it was there all along. I trusted Christ. I believe in him. And I know that my name's in the book of life. And if your name is there, you will not be at this judgment to hear about all the missing names. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. That is translated as judgment. There is now no judgment to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The verse we read at the beginning in the fourth, the fourth verse of chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. That's the Christian. You, brethren, if you believe, you'll not be condemned. If you believe, you don't live in darkness. If you believe, the thief will not surprise you. So you've been warned. In 13 sermons on the end times, you've been warned. The day of wrath is coming. There's a day of reckoning that's coming for everyone. And the question is, who's going to save you from it? Will it be you? Or will it be Jesus Christ? Hopefully, you know the answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ that you sent into this world to save us from our sins. And only in him can we escape the wrath that is to come. Help people today, Lord, to see this. Those who who think, oh, my life is pretty good. Done some pretty good things. And surely, if anybody goes to heaven, I will. When the Bible says, if anybody goes to heaven, you won't. Not by your own works. Lord, help us to understand that. We pray that you might lay it upon someone's heart to trust Jesus Christ today. And then for those of us who say that we are Christians, who continually examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, your word says that we should do it. And we do that by looking at how we've lived our lives, whether we have been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that hasn't happened, then we don't know you. Speak to some heart today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org